0: I got to uh, got to have some fun with the choir yesterday. I got to preach a little bit. We were talking about the the praise and the worship of God. And uh, if you would turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 while I give some context to some thoughts here. But uh 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where where we'll start this morning. And They were getting ready to sing, and we are just talking about the greatness of God. And I I mentioned in a message a few weeks ago on how great God is and how wonderful He is. And the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you start finding out how good God is and just how simple that word is. God's just, He's good. (laughs) Uh, There's not a lot of good things in the world that you can find. We attempt to be good and we never really succeed, right? We attempt to be good and we can last a little bit, but God has never failed to be good. And so it is wonderful. That's why He's so wonderful and that's why He's so great and that's why it's how unsearchable is His greatness. Uh, You can't figure out how great God is. You've never exhausted the greatness of God and you never will. Uh, but here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you want to talk about some greatness and how great God is, because really this, is, this whole chapter wouldn't be about us, but get down to verse number 18. We're going to read a little bit this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we'll start, we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that and the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." as Paul's writing here to the church at Corinth and of course the church at Corinth is is the most carnal church that Paul really dealt with we see that over and over again uh, they're the fleshly church he's you know repeatedly having to reprimand them for just their ungodly behavior ultimately and the things that they've let go on in the service and in the in the basically in the membership that is there at Corinth and how worldly it was and how fleshly it was but uh, he gets here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as he's talking to them, he's recognizing the fact that there is a pow- the power of God is the salvation that he could do for a man and a woman who decided they were going to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he highlights by the time he gets to chapter 15, Uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and how God brought salvation to mankind and how foolish the world thinks that would be. And as he highlights these things, he chooses that as the wisdom of God versus the foolishness of mankind. And he takes the wisdom that men think they're so great and they're so wise and they just know everything and how wonderful they are. God goes ahead and says, you know what I'll do? I'll just take that paradigm, flip it right over. I don't even care what you think. And he does whatever he wants. And he decides what is great and what is not great. And he goes ahead in this passage and he makes sure we understand that God called some people. He says in verse number 26, you see your calling, brethren, how the not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And the truth is God is calling. He is constantly calling. God is not letting up on the call to mankind. We look around at a world and we're like, God, you know, the lost world is like where is God? Uh, Right? The the lost philosophers, their answer is God is dead. They look around and they say, how terrible can we get? God doesn't matter. God doesn't care. God's not doing. When the truth is, God is calling. And He's calling to the saved and He's calling to the lost. And He's called us some things and He's called us to do some things. And I'm going to talk today about God is... God is still calling. He is still calling. And you look down this passage, and we're not really going to stay here. We're going to jump around quite a bit this morning. And uh, I don't do that very often where we run to a lot of verses. We're going to run to a lot of verses this morning, all right? Normally, I quote a lot of verses, but I want you to see quite a few things, and maybe not as many as I quote. But we're going to look at some things because you and I have been called. There's a calling that has happened. And, you know... It says that it's not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. Uh, You don't need some notoriety to have God talk to you. Uh, Thankfully, because we, let's face it, the vast majority, if not the entirety of this room, would go, yeah, I wouldn't have been in that list. If I had to be mighty, if I had to be noble, if I had to be wise, I probably wouldn't have made that list the day the Lord found me. Come on. let's be honest we weren't that great we're still not that great but we weren't that great then either and we were far worse off then before jesus christ found us and picked us up and brought us out of that miry clay and set our feet upon a rock i'll get into that in a minute i'm gonna get preaching my message before i get into my message but uh we were in we were in rough shape and i'm awfully thankful god doesn't just call to the best of the best i'm glad he doesn't call just to a few I'm also glad that he does call some of those folks. He didn't say none of those people get it. He just said not many of them figure it out. He's calling to them, but many of them don't answer that call, so they weren't receiving of the call. I'm glad you don't have to be noble to go ahead and get that call. And I'm glad you don't have to be noble to answer that call. And after we do, we find out that we're chosen And we got all these foolish things. We look awfully foolish to them. And we seem like we're unworthy. Because the truth is, we are. We are unworthy of a calling. We're unworthy of the Lord to speak to us. We're unworthy in the greatness, and actually Rebecca was singing about it, that God would come inside of us. That somebody so wonderful would deal with somebody so wicked is amazing. And that's the truth of it. But thankfully, He didn't leave us that way. And we're going to get into the have a word of prayer, and we'll get into what we're called to. But God is still calling, and He's calling us certain things, and He's calling us to do certain things. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll go. Father, I do thank You for the day. I thank You for, Lord, allowing us to be able to be here and to meet freely, to be able to open up a Bible and, Father, give the sense of the matter, Lord, and be able to talk about these things. And I do pray You would give me wisdom as I speak. Help me not to say anything I shouldn't. Help me to phrase everything the way that it ought to be phrased. Lord, that the words would be edifying and perfect in the way that you want them to be. Father, that it would be entire and you would be able to get all the praise and the honor and the glory that it would be all of you and none of me. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us this morning to recognize that we have been called and the Lord is still calling and he still wants us. And Lord, I do pray that you would... I just bless the service today. I pray if someone here has never heard that call or they've never received that call that Jesus Christ can save to the uttermost, that they'd answer it and they would go ahead and trust Jesus Christ today. And Father, once again, we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory this day. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn over to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to attempt to not read huge passages for all of these. Uh, some of these are very difficult, all right, because uh, you've got to get some context to see the full thing. So I'm going to kind of cut these down as best I can so we're not reading huge sections. But right here, 1 uh, Peter chapter 2. In verse number nine, he says this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Uh, The first calling you find out is that God is calling men, to redemption ultimately he's calling them to be redeemed he's taking them out of darkness he's calling them they're in the dark and he's still calling and he's calling and they're in the darkness of sin they're in the darkness of the blindness in part that is going gone on here part of that blindness that God is allowing the devil to do and he's trying to blind the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in their hearts and the devil's trying to blind them and keep them in the dark and God's looking at them going, no, I'm going to give you some light. I'm going to try to get you to see what I want you to see. I'm going to call you out of that darkness and into my marvelous light so that I can give you mercy. Notice we obtained mercy the day we got out of darkness and were put in the light. You go back in John chapter one, of course, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and the right and he comes in and who is he? He's the light. And the light shined in a dark place. And he comes in in John chapter 3, right? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they hate the light. Why? Because their deeds will get reproved if they're put in the light. Right. That's What's the Lord trying to do. He's trying to get a little light to him to say, hey, you aren't as good as you think you are. The wisdom that you had in the world is that we can be good enough. Well, if I just turn over a new leaf and if I just try harder and if I just do better, it'll make up for all the things that I've done in my past. The problem is it doesn't eliminate your past. There has to be a payment made for the past. And it's not your good works that can make any payment for it. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. None of those things can be paid for without blood being shed. And Jesus Christ goes ahead and makes the offering for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, that we might be reconciled unto God. He wants to bring you out of darkness and sin and transgression and put you into the marvelous light of the salvation of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. He wants to lighten the eyes of the Gentiles and go ahead and give them the gospel so that they can know their sins can be forgiven forever. He is still calling men today to come out of darkness and step into the light and find the salvation that Jesus Christ only offers. Say, so, do men all answer that call? No. Sadly, they don't. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in there They choose that direction. They choose to to go the wide path. They choose to go that broad way of, well, my good works will be enough, and the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. They say, well, you know, I can can just, you know, if I just, no. (laughs) Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He's trying to get them light. He's trying to get them truth. He's trying to get them the answer. You know what they have to decide? Whether they'll take the answer. One of the craziest portions, I think, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is Pilate. Because Pilate tries to get out of it, doesn't he? He does everything I think he possibly could to get out of being the one who has to sign the order to have him crucified. I mean, he goes ahead and he, he questions him. He gets up in front of everybody and he's like, uh, you know, I find no fault in him. Don't you want me to let him go? And they're like, no. He broke our law. By our law, he ought to die. Why? Because he called himself the son of God. And Pilate's answer to that is still, I find no fault in him at all. I I can't even find a fault that he could be the son of God. I don't even know. You know what I'll do? I'll send him over to Herod. Herod kicks him back. <laughs> Pilate goes, Okay, well, uh, hey, we've got a custom. Maybe I could release him. <laughs> and they go, No, we'd rather have that guy who caused sedition and murder, and we'd rather have that wicked guy, uh, but go ahead and kill him. And he's like, You want me to crucify your king? He's trying everything he can to not crucify Jesus. He tries to wash his hands, but the truth is it's on his. It's his order that causes it. He beats Jesus Christ up in hopes that maybe that's enough. Maybe they'll take a beating and maybe they just want to see him beat up and not enough. Not enough for that crowd. And not enough to make a payment for the sins of the world. So God allows his son to be crucified that day. One of the saddest things is Jesus Christ is sitting right in front of him. And Pilate walks in, and when he hears that idea of, that, of him being the son of God, he walks in and goes, whence art thou? Where did you come from? Who are you? Because if you're not from around here, <laughs> and Jesus doesn't answer him. He says, ultimately it is, I've given you enough truth.'" Pilate's reply is, well, what is truth? And he walks out, he had truth sitting in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. He had the light right there. He had the answer right there, and he walked away. You say, did Pilate get saved after? I have no idea. I hope so. I mean, how could you have the light sitting right in front of you three days later after you've killed it, the light comes back? <laughs> He's the one who sits there and tells those guards, make it as sure as you can. I don't know what to do. I don't think you're going to keep it secured, but go ahead and do what you can. He said he's coming out. He's probably coming out. I heard, of, I heard about this now. The centurion knew standing there at the cross, truly this man was the son of God. Say, so what's God trying to do? He's trying to get you out of darkness and put you in the light. He's trying to get you to see the truth of the gospel and the goodness of a wonderful God who wants to save you. He wants to be your wonderful Savior. And if Jesus Christ isn't your Savior this morning, the rest of this message means nothing. Because if you don't answer that call, the rest of it you can't even do. You need to answer the call that Jesus Christ is sending right now of you must be born again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He's calling now, whosoever will, let him come, take a drink of the water of life freely. He's looking around going, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest on yours. He's calling. There's no shortage of his call. There may be a shortage of answers, but there's a whole lot in his call. Look over at Romans, actually 1 Corinthians, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God is still calling. He wants to redeem. He's calling. He's putting out a call for redemption. He wants to buy you back. He paid the debt of our sins at Calvary. The price was paid. The wages of sin is death and Jesus Christ took your wages. He paid them. If you trust Him, He'd redeem you he put you in the light. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes the same type of an opening there in Romans chapter 1 around verse number 7. He says that that church over there, they were called to be saints. Now, a saint is an odd thing because a saint is someone who is righteous. The ultimate definition of a saint is that one declared righteous by God. That's the short definition, right? The shorthand definition is you were declared righteous. God has deemed you righteous. That's pretty amazing. Why do you think that's so amazing? Because I know me. And before you got brought from darkness into light, you realize the one thing you had to recognize was, I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous. In fact, you have to recognize the fact that you are completely unrighteous and that even your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Even those aren't that good. Even your things you did right weren't even right. That's how wicked we are. That is how terrible mankind is. That is how bad you are. You're that bad. And God says, now you're righteous. You realize I purposely went to, to the church at Corinth because I mentioned it earlier, right? This is the most fleshly and carnal, messed up church that Paul deals with. And his answer to that church is, uh, God called you to be saints. That is incredible to me. God goes, no, you guys are saints. It's okay. You're a saint. Realize the declaration that you have when you got into the light and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior is that you, in the eyes of God, are no longer the sinner that you were. You are now righteous in the eyes of a holy God. For all of eternity, this is where eternal security stems from. It stems from the truth that for all of eternity, your sins are taken care of and you are declared righteous. This is where you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Verse number 21, he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God. Right, We have now become the thing that you and I could never be without Him. He has made us this new creature. What is it? It's the Son of God. I'll get to that in a minute. But it's the Son of God who has now been born inside of us. And now you know what we are? We are saints. We're righteous. We're clean. And there is nothing we can do in eternal sense. There is nothing we can do to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is zero on the list. Paul makes that abundantly clear by the time we get to the end of Romans chapter 8, right? He makes it abundantly clear that who shall separate us from the love of God, shall tribulation or distress or peril, right? And then he gets all the way down to the end and he says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, if I'm dead or I'm alive, doesn't make any difference. Death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. So there's no angelic host that could ever get to you. So none of them have any say in this matter. Nor things present, anything I do right now. Nor things to come, anything I do in the future. Well, when God saved you, didn't he wash away all of your past? Right? Well, then if he washed away all of your past, there's nothing back there that can get to you. And now there's nothing I can do right now to change it. And there's nothing in my future that can change it. Nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. Doesn't matter if I'm on top of Mount Everest or I'm down in the lowest parts of hell. Makes no difference. Nor any other creature. Now that's the fun one for me. Now this is great because I'm I'm, going to sneak in some theology right here, okay? It's going to be some deeper stuff, all right? Some of you have heard me talk about this. The creature is interesting. All the new versions, by the way, change. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. They tell you that you're a new creation. That's not the word. Amen. You're a new creature. That's right. Now, this becomes very important here in just a moment because I'm going to go ahead and seal this up, I promise. You get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, they say creation instead of creature. Now, the reason creature is important right there is this. You're replacing an old creature. Now, this is going to be twofold right here. You go back early. I'm not going to make you turn to all these places. This is extra. None of this is in my notes. So this is just fun for me, okay? if it's not fun for you, I'm sorry. I'll get back to the message in a moment, okay? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, you have these creatures that come out. And they're literally called creatures. say, what are they? They're the cherubs. And the four creatures come out. You find out in Ezekiel chapter 28 that there's one missing. His name was Lucifer. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. So you know what the cherubs are? They're called creatures. Lucifer was a creature. His job as Lucifer was to bear light. And he was made with pipes and tabrets. He was also gold and nine precious stones. Now this is about to get real interesting. The church steps in in the New Testament. As a saved individual, you're called a new creature. You've replaced an old creature. Say, what one did you replace? You replaced Lucifer. Revelation, you and I have an abode. And it's particular to the church. And it's the new Jerusalem. Coming down from God as a bride adorned, right? And what's she adorned with? Well, she's adorned with streets of... Gold and she's covered with every precious stone. She's got actually 12 stones, she got better than her predecessor. And they cease not day and night to praise. Oh, that's singing! You mean, wait a minute, you mean the old creature got replaced by a new one, and that new one is the Christian Man, that's right. who's a new creature in Christ by the way you get to Romans chapter 8 that there's not a creature that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus that's the old one and any of the new ones you realize right the idea the Catholic Church their answer is uh, we just we'll just stop the sacraments you can't have salvation that's how they that's how they topple governments That's how they take control. You realize that if I decide that we aren't going to have communion here at the church, it makes no difference. Not to your salvation. I can't even walk up to you. I can't be like, hey, Brother Viscum, you're not saved anymore. (laughs) I have zero say in the matter. I have zero say. But you know what else is great? I'm one of those creatures. And since there's nothing presently that I can do and nothing in the future that I could do to mess it up, I still can't mess it up. And in case that wasn't good enough, the answer was that no creature. Well, I'm one of those. So then I can't mess it up. And by the way, that also means the devil can't mess you up either. Because he's a creature. And he can't do anything about your salvation either. There is nothing, that is the perfect sealed legal document to the truth that you and I need to be fully persuaded that God is not looking to get rid of you. He made you a saint on purpose. He made you righteous because without God making you righteous, you and I do not deserve a sinless heaven. Right. The answer to the problem that we have is if you're going to get into the New Jerusalem, Romans or Revelation chapter 21, he ends that chapter with that uh, neither in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, terrible people, or maketh a lie. You talk about the full spectrum, abomination to just a lie. Come on. You don't deserve heaven if you if you've told one lie. So you know what God had to do? He had to call you up and say, hey, I'm going to make you a saint. I'll declare you righteous for all of eternity. I'll go ahead and take care of that. That's why you and I have a helmet of salvation. Because it's not a question of how I feel. He didn't put that on the breastplate. He put that on the head. Why? Because salvation is the fact and the truth. It's a promise from God given to us that we know. I'm persuaded. That's a mind thing. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. There is nothing we can do to mess that up. Amen. You have been called to be a saint. Not only that, look we'll over at 1 John chapter 3. I might have learned really well from my predecessor, and you may have to come back tonight to hear the rest of this message. <laughs> First John chapter 3, verse number 1. I love this passage. This is, of, this is one of the most blessed chapters in the book right here, but he says in verse number 1. Behold what manner, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, Not only did he call you to redemption, not only did he call you righteous, he called you a relative. He brought you in as a son. Now, this is incredible right here. He gives us, of course, Galatians. We have the adoption of sons. And he sends in the spirit of his, his son into our hearts. And we get to cry, Abba, Father. Amen. We get to choose to go ahead and have a personal relationship. Realize God's goal was a relationship was to have you be as close to him as a father to a son. Amen. That's interesting. You've heard me mention it plenty of times. The first time love is used is purposeful. God is purposeful about when he uses a word in the Bible. First time it's used is Genesis 22. Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. First time it's used. Carries it all the way to John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Then it carries over to 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That not only did he send his son, he made us his son. Amen. That is unbelievable. Yeah, right. That the God of the universe would want to go ahead and call me his kid. You and I have gone to grocery stores. And we have said this phrase, guaranteed, glad that's not my kid. Right? Right? Thankfully, that never happens here at church. Uh, anyways, um, moving on. Uh, right, the answer, I'm glad that's not my kid. You know what God says? I wish that was mine. Amen. Amen. I wish that was my kid. Haven't you seen some kids out there that you looked on and you thought, I wish that was my kid? Because they need some serious help. And their parents aren't very good. And their parents are pretty lousy. And if they could come over and live at my house for a week, we might be helpful. (laughs) If only they had some better parentage. Oh. And you look at them and you go, Boy, I love them. I wish I could. And God says, My house is never full. I got room, I got room enough to spare. I'll go ahead and bring him in as my kid. And he looked at you dirty and messy and completely intolerable on, on by everybody else. Nobody wanted you. Nobody wanted to be around you. You were lousy. You were terrible. You were awful. Nobody wanted to claim you. You were stuck as the devil's kid and you were living just like your father, the devil in the lust of your father. Ye would do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. And you were a liar just like he was. And God said, I'd make you my kid. I'll, bring you, I'll make you my kid. That's the relationship God wants. He looks at us and you know what he says? I saved you. I brought you from darkness to light. I made you a saint so that you could be my kid. I made you righteous so I could make you my kid. Because if you're not righteous, then you wouldn't be like me. But I made you righteous so you could be just like me. That is... He's a wonderful Savior. He's wonderful. He wants, and he wants the relationship. You realize in Romans chapter 9 and verse number 26, he calls us children of the living God. That's a cool title, by the way. There are some amazing titles in the Bible. That's a good one right there. What am I? I'm a child of the living God. They're just A little extra power that goes along with that title. I don't know what that is, but I I like it, Uh, and and I'm glad that I am. We're children. He wants to adopt it. That is the relationship he wants. He wants you to be able to come to him just like you would your father. The struggle that we have is too many fathers were terrible fathers. For one, they didn't show up. Sometimes they just weren't there. Some of them, I'm not preaching on Father's Day, so I'm going to slide a couple things in, gentlemen. (laughs) Brother Grady's with us, so I'll slide a couple things in. They weren't there. They didn't provide the right needs. They didn't show the right love. They didn't have any compassion. I will my wife's job. It's not what I find of my father. Right, that's right. They didn't learn to discipline properly. Come on. They either overindulged in their desire to reprimand and got aggressive in their nature Or they just delayed to go ahead and bring judgment? I find whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Well, then the chastening hand of God is pretty good. Knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Even his chastening is good. Because he did it for your profit. Instead of his pleasure. Too many fathers provoke their children to wrath. The good news is, when thy father and thy mother forsake thee, the Lord will take thee up. Amen. Well, I had a pretty bad father. Okay, don't put that on God. He's not that way. He's better than that. You might have had a lousy dad. And by the way, everybody in this room, in case you're curious, none of our dads were 100% perfect. Your dad was messed up somewhere. Okay, Even if he's sitting in this room right now, he messed up somewhere because his dad messed up before him and his dad messed up before him. We all messed it up. We're not perfect. By the way, that does not give you an excuse to rebel against him and it also does not give you an excuse to rebel against your heavenly father. Don't try that. (sighs) Because when you rebel against your own father, you've rebelled against your heavenly father get into all that later but i won't right now let's say who is he he's a wonderful father he's called you to be his son i'm going to get to some of this later but i'm going to close out here in just a moment i don't want to take more time than i should this morning i'm going to jump ahead a little bit and give you part of the ending And tonight I'm going to jump back and we're going to finish. Okay? You think just for a little bit. God's called. He's called us to salvation. Right? He's redeemed us. He took us from darkness to put us in the light. When he put us in the light, we saw how wicked we were. And so his answer was, okay, I want to make you righteous. So he redeems us, he pays for all of our sins, he buys us back, he takes us out of that darkness, brings us into his marvelous light, he redeems us, and then he says, okay, I've made you righteous. You're a saint now. I've declared that. You are are a saint for all of eternity. Congratulations. You're all saints. No statues, but you're saints, all right? And here he is, and you know what he says? I also want you to be related to me. I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to make you my kid. Why would he do all this? Go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I promise this is not the only ending I have, all right? There's a lot more to cover tonight. And I wasn't planning on this being two parts, but I don't really want to plow through the last part of it, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, once again, he gets down, right? And we won't read it all again. But he's called us, right? We're not wise. We're not many mighty. We're not many noble. He chose us because we're foolish and we're not as good as we think we are. And he gets down to verse number 29 and he says this, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Why does God take somebody like me? Why do I, why would God even want me? The truth is, God wanted you because he loved you. Say, I'm not very loving, and I'm not very lovable. He knows that, but he still wanted you. you So he goes ahead, and he calls you, and he calls you, and I already said it, and I'm not going to cover all of them right. He calls you to redeem you. Then he calls you, and he says, hey, you're righteous. You're a saint. Then he calls you, and he says, hey, I want you to be my son. In case you're wondering, I called you my son. Uh, You're a relative of mine now. Why does he do all that? He does all of that for one purpose, ultimately. That he can finally go, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. You get to glory and praise God because he took what you and I both know is worthless. Worth We aren't worth much, if anything. In fact, most of the time... In the cause and the idea of who God is and how amazing he is, you and I are a negative, not a positive, right? Oftentimes we fail so badly that we look at him and go, I don't even know what the pieces are that you could pick up. But if you could pick some up, that would be wonderful and make this thing fixed up a little bit. And God says, okay, I like to work with nothing. In fact, when I worked with nothing, I created it perfectly, and then you all messed it up. So as long as I have nothing, it's sometimes a lot better than if I had something. Yeah, yeah. you, ever, you ever work on a remodel of a house, right? You tear into your own house, and you look at it, and you went, I don't know what anybody did here, <sighs> but I really don't like it. And the goal is to fix whatever somebody else did before you. Oftentimes, that is more trouble than it's worth at times. It's often more meticulous. It's often you run into more problems. Now you've got to fix something else that you didn't know was back there. And now you're fixing another thing that was back there. And then you found something else, and now you've got to fix that too. And then you just keep going. God says, boy, it was a lot easier when I had nothing to work with. All I did was speak and it came into existence. (laughs) Now i got to deal with the mess that you've made. But don't worry, I'm really good at cleaning up messes. I'm so good, I can make the unrighteous righteous. I can make a child of the devil, a child of the living God. I can go ahead and make it, and so all I do is go ahead and take those lousy, worthless things, and I make it so I can get all the glory. That's why he uses us. That's why he chooses us, but that's why he's called us. He's called us to give him glory. And when you start recognizing the fact that he called you to be his kid, it's a whole lot better to be able to look at him and go, I ought to give him some glory because I know I don't deserve to be his kid. I don't deserve to live the good life that he's given me. I don't deserve all of his benefits. I don't deserve... Mephibosheth didn't deserve David's table, but he got it. The cripple from the king that wanted David dead. The cripple from the line of the people who would gladly have wiped David off the map. The cripple from a fall. David says, come eat at my table and you'll eat there forever. And I'll make you as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth goes, what am I? I'm just a dog. I don't deserve this. David says, you're right. (laughs) You're right. But I'm giving it to you anyways. When you recognize how great God is, you know what it'll make you do? It'll make you glorify him. And not just with your words, it'll make you glorify him with your life. Because he's worth all of that glory. Let's go ahead and stand this morning. We'll finish up part two tonight. And the truth is, we've been called to a lot more things. And we've been called to a lot more things. We've got a lot of names in the Bible. I'm not going to cover them all tonight but maybe you're in here this morning and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior and the idea of being righteous and a child of God and having your sins forgiven forever has never happened to you. We're going to sing and in a moment we're going to go ahead and have an invitation and I'm going to invite you to come and go ahead and come and answer that one question. If I were to die today am I sure I'll be in heaven? Do I know what will happen if I were to die? And if that answer is yes, 100%, I'll be in heaven. Jesus Christ died to redeem you. He paid the debt of all of your sins and he wants to make you his son. If you'd come, we'll go ahead and get my attention. We'll go ahead and open up a Bible and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. If you're in here this morning and you're saved, maybe you haven't been living like you know you ought to live. You know you're a child of God. You know you're supposed to be a saint. You know you're supposed to be these things, but you don't live like it. So God's not getting any glory. Maybe you need to make some changes and give Him some glory today. Let the Lord work. Father, I do thank You for, once again, being good to us. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for keeping us. Thank You for taking that burden off of us and giving us a great liberty be able to serve our wonderful God. Father, I pray if someone here this morning doesn't have Jesus Christ as their Savior, they wouldn't leave that way. Father, I pray you would once again deal with our hearts. We love you. We pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Andrew.